So Nathan, this is this is that article that came out on New Year's Eve. So I've kind of had this one in my pocket, but I've been wanting to bounce this off you. So you have not heard this article to my knowledge. Maybe you have, but if you have not, I wanted to read it to you, see what you thought about it, and we can kind of go from there. This was put up by Global News. Uh, a former BC drug user turned harm reduction and recovery advocate and an Alberta addiction physician are proposing governments pay some people to enter treatment. Guy Felicella and Dr. Monty Gosh said that the idea of incentivized treatment would see those who cannot access treatment through other means, including the homeless and those living below the poverty line, could be eligible for a small stipend of $20 a day to enter a 90-day treatment program or facility. Six, the $600 a month would go into people's pockets and not towards food or accommodation costs, giving, giving them something to work with when they leave treatment and attempt recovery. And then it goes on a little bit of um, into some of the specifics. Contingency management, Gosh, Gosh said, is a rewards-based system with incentives to get people into certain treatment programs that has been very effective for drugs like methamphetamines, cannabis, and alcohol. One of the big things that substance use hijacks is the reward system of the brain. Felicella, who spent two decades fighting homelessness and heroin addiction in Vancouver's downtown east side, is well aware of how a powerful motivator drugs are. He said that he's overdosed six times once fentanyl hit the streets before he found a recovery through a safety net of harm reduction, compassion, and suboxone. Drugs need to be counteracted with another catalyst, Felicella and Gosh said, Monetary incentives work, citing $5 in cash that convinced dozens of downtown East Side residents to get their COVID-19 vaccines in 2021. This is giving people confidence back and a little bit of identity that they too are a part of something that's bigger. So I guess my first question is, how does that sit with you? $20 a day for a 90-day treatment program. To your knowledge, with your background, would this be something that would would work? I'm aware of the uh, the... the one of the guys you're talking about there, the mm -hmm. guy, guy, uh, whatever his last name is there. Um, I see him on Twitter quite a bit and he's definitely an advocate for getting people to recover from drugs and alcohol. That does seem to be something that he's pretty interested in. And, uh, he's right about the motivation factor as far as, you know, they've done lots of studies like the, what they did with the COVID there with the uh, getting people to get a shot for $5, but that's not the same. It's not, uh, no. It, my first question would be, are they doing this for people who are already seeking treatment or are they seeking to motivate people solely on a monetary basis? Because I'll tell you right now, from what I understand about how motivation works when your brain is, uh, you know, if you're using a heavy drug chronically, We've talked about it before. You tend to be front-loaded. So what that mm -hmm. means is your uh, executive function and your prefrontal cortex. Uh, actually, I just looked at a study the other day, actually, that they've they've shown that dendrites start to retract in the prefrontal cortex. And in a weird twist, dendrites extend in the amygdala, in the nucleus accumbens, and all the, uh, uh, the, the areas that are associated with uh, memory and emotion. So you can see how that's a double-edged sword mm -hmm. in front-loading the brain to a, we look at it as a now versus uh, future type mindset, right? Yeah. When you're doing drugs like that on a, on a regular basis, normally the human brain has a, a kind of 
level playing field where as an adult, you understand that delaying gratification is many times better in the long run. Yeah. We don't always do that, but that's, you know, that's, that's kind of what a healthy brain does. It's able to look at both options and make a, a judgment call. And that's the part of choice, I guess you could say, that is affected by doing drugs on a, especially highly rewarding drugs on a consistent basis. For it's sure. not that you're unable to delay gratification. It just becomes much harder. So taking that as a kind of framework to work with and then using a small amount of money like that. I mean, that's even a small amount of money to people who are using drugs, right? Yes. Uh, it's not going to $20 is like, that's a very mild, like you could get high for $20 a day on, on meth and fentanyl. It could be done, but you have to be a fairly new user, I think, to, to be able to get by like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to my knowledge, anyways, maybe, uh, you know, they, if they did studies and, uh, it would be interesting to see at what point, cause you'd think there would have to be a number, right. <laughs> Where if, if there was, you know, X amount of dollars presented to get people to go to treatment, uh, they would probably say yes, but it would, I think there'd be many people who would, uh, contrary to what most doctors and a lot of advocates think that people would are able to delay gratification if they can see out the other side of that 90 days and they're going to get a big chunk of change that they can use. They're going to say, okay, so you're going to feed me and you're going to keep me off the streets for 90 days. You're going to pay me to listen to your, your program or whatever. And then I'm going to get a bunch, a bunch of money when I leave this place. My concern would be, are we actually going to kill more people? Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. now you're, you're giving them a, a bunch of money and they've been, you know, you've basically perfectly reset their brain for use. That yeah. would be 90 days would arguably be the most dangerous time to give somebody money and send them on their way like that. Unless the key thing would be what the initial motivation is. Yeah. You know, if they were motivated to do it themselves and you were doing that to give them a way of having a leg up when they get out of treatment then by all means, I think that's an excellent idea, but it would all come down to what is the, what is the individual's motivation for going to treatment in the first place. And if you're trying to lure people into treatment with money, you better have like a safety net set up on the other side to monitor for overdoses. That would be my primary concern. And then uh, if you are going to do that, uh, it's an excellent opportunity for data collection, which is sorely missing from a lot of these things. So that would be the the two points I would make. I mean, the guy's trying to do this in Alberta. That's a, that's an uphill battle. <laughs> I can't see, I can't see uh, any, like as far as getting money for something like that, I would be shocked, but we'll see. I mean, I, is it something that's just been kind of proposed or is it something that's going to go forward or what's the, to my knowledge, just proposed. Okay. I agree with you, Nathan. I- First, about the risk of actually setting people up for overdose on the other side when they come out. I think $600 a month is not, if we're looking at housing as being one of the primary issues, this is not going to do anything for housing. $600 doesn't touch anyone's housing needs. In our province, we have, there are a lot of nonprofit organizations 
there are underpaid social workers and support staff of nonprofits and of government organizations. It's a fact that social workers are, are hard, hard to find because they're not simply not paid enough. There's very little incentive for people to go in and stay in that industry. Mm-hmm. So we've now put people through this mandatory treatment and, and then what, you know, to me, it's when I think about the allocation of resources, allocation of money, I think I would rather see that go to ensuring that there are better support services and, and more social workers who are well-paid for their many, many hours of hard work. Cause I don't, I, I think if we're going to create a lasting change, that's what is, that's what is needed there among other, other things. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what the angle is there. Like what if what $1,800 is meant to do, if it was coupled with like a halfway house situation or something where there was some ability to have access to enough housing to, uh, you know, have a shower every day and okay, here's some money to keep yourself fed while you look for a job or something like that, you know, but mm-hmm. just $600 per month on the other end, that doesn't make any sense to me. So maybe something's you know, maybe they tend to do something like that. And that's not uh, mentioned in the story. I mean, everybody's trying to do the best with, uh, with their perspective, I think. And, and, and he, he seems like the type of guy whose heart is definitely in the right place, but it's uh it's a real tough one when you're trying to incentivize people <laughs> in that way, I guess. If you wanted to run a trial like that, I guess the the easiest way to do it would be uh, make it scalable and start very small. And you must differentiate between the people who want treatment and are actively seeking it versus the people who aren't. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll get no data that's useful. And uh, I think that if you did a cost-benefit analysis based on uh, even a few of those, like a, a few trials of that type of program, you would find that, like you said, the in the end, the $600, because it's not just $600, it's also 90 days worth of treatment, which is going to be, even if it's in Alberta, you're looking at, I don't know, 40,000, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So it, that is going to be, an, uh, yeah, I, I think that's going to be a real tough sell as far as the Alberta government's concerned. I don't know if they'd even go for that here. Yeah, because we can't even show results from people who are motivated to go to treatment can do a 90 day treatment in a facility that's, you know, supposed to be high end and they spend a lot of money for. And it's still (laughs) it still can be not a not a great success rate. Right. So, (laughs) um, yeah, Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've never heard anybody trying to do that before. I also worry, you know, in reading briefly, reading through the responses that that article got, like the the comment section of Twitter below that article, it and this doesn't make it a bad idea, but that very proposal is ripe for someone who is very critical of of either social services or um, money towards dr- those who use drugs or harm reduction advocates. It, it's like dangling a <laughs> dangling uh, the bait out there for for that conflict yeah. and i wonder if it if it it feeds an idea like that and i'm all i'm all for risk-taking ideas or radical ideas that are going to save lives and make a change so it's not that but like mm-hmm. that idea particularly without the support without flushing the idea out enough so that it has so you have some of those safeguards and have 
have it as a, a trial with with really carefully collected data and really carefully selected users to come into the trial and just like show that you're really putting all these pieces together to make it work. It just seems like it's ripe for, for criticism and more division and more mudslinging towards the drug using community. I think. Yes. Yes. You, you it's, it's so, <laughs> it's so, I don't know. Like it definitely, you could look for sources of income and uh, you could almost check for like uh you know, government involvement to see if there wasn't some right wing uh, <laughs> Albertan yeah. uh, premier or, or rich person who was actively trying to to make it the, the situation worse. Yeah. That that is how that idea looks. Yeah, um, because it doesn't have there's not a lot of chances for it to succeed versus many disastrous problems that could occur that, yeah. again, I, I don't know. Uh, you never know how a story is presented, especially coming out of Alberta. It could be that they had the best of intentions. They did have safeguards in place and they were thinking of that. But um, if you're not at least aware of uh, of the dangers associated with something like that, then I don't think you should probably be involved in putting those ideas forward. Yeah. And, you know, <clears throat> so the obvious comparison to me is like someone listening could say, well, how is that different than the idea of giving drug users free clean drugs it's very different it's very different i mean one you can directly measure the lives saved by someone who suddenly has access to a clean drug supply yeah it's uh i mean i don't see a more pragmatic common sense approach and the only argument against it uh, other than the obvious political nonsense would be uh is it cost effective? Mm-hmm. And I would argue that yes, it is. Because if you do the math on, you know, somebody who's already say they've overdosed once, twice, whatever it may be, every overdose is very, very expensive. Every hospital visit, every ambulance ride, to stay a night in a hospital to recover, even if you get out that day, there's a heavy uh, price tag involved with that. And that's just the overdoses. That's not the physical injury that aren't, that doesn't turn out to be registered as an overdose. It's just the person is hurting badly and needs mm-hmm. to go. Now they need to go see somebody at a walk-in clinic or, you know, there's all these extra things that add up. And if you eliminate those by providing drugs that are very, very, very cheap to manufacture, then I think you like again it wouldn't be hard to do a small study to to see what you know you yeah. take take 100 chronic users uh who've had at least one overdose you could start there mm-hmm. provide them with something cheap like uh diacetylmorphine heroin or hydromorph mm-hmm. and see what happens do it for a yeah. month you know see how expensive it is to do that for a month versus how much of a a burden it takes off the healthcare system and this is not, again, counting the police that are, yeah. you know, we're trying to alleviate that. But and on top of that, you have to if you're somebody who's in a situation where you're using a lot of illicit drugs, you have to find that money somewhere and you need to account for the crime. So mm-hmm. you got to take that amount of money that's being taken out of the economy. You know, it's not just a people need to understand that it's it's not just that you're you're being altruistic and giving people money 
in a lot of these cases, I believe that it would actually save us money in the long term. Mm -hmm. And people can't, they, it seems to be difficult for people to understand that, but, and I could be wrong. I could certainly be wrong, but to me, it, it doesn't look even close. I mean, no. I and without, know. without fixing the safe supply issue, without fixing the toxic drug supply that is still on the streets, like it has been for years now, without fixing sort of our very clunky, dysfunctional mental health and healthcare system, understaffed, overserved, putting someone through a treatment program for 90 days to let their tolerance plummet. Yeah, I think it's a recipe for tragedy. Mm -hmm. Well, I would take that deal. If I mean, if I was really in a bad place and I was on the street, I'd take that deal just for the the shelter and the food. And then I would say, fuck yeah. it. I'll use in, in at the facility too. And, you know, if they catch me, they catch me. What are they going to do? Boot me out of the program? I don't get my money. Who cares? I still, you know, like people are not idiots. No. no. So I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty cool story to uh, to bring up. Interesting. We'll keep our eye on that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear a response from the... Uh, from Guy. Well, from from Guy, I'd, I'd be more interested in a response from the Alberta government because uh, I think that would be pretty funny. It would. Yeah, it would. <laughs> 